This is Canada Reads American Style, featuring two friends who love Canada Reads and Canadian literature. Welcome our host Rebecca from Michigan and Tara from Ontario. Hi everyone, it's Rebecca, and unfortunately Tara was unable to be with us today, but I am so excited to introduce award-winning author Michael Christie, who has been long-listed for the Scotiabank Giller Prize three out of three times. But today we will be talking about his most recent novel, Greenwood, which will be defended by Keegan Connor Tracy at the 2023 CBC's Canada Reads Debates in less than two weeks. According to Michael's website, Greenwood is a multi-generational family story in which the unexpected legacies of a remote island off the coast of British Columbia will link the fates of five people over a hundred years. Welcome, Michael. Thanks, Rebecca. It's really nice to be speaking with you. Great. Well, I am always fascinated with a novel's origin story. So I wondered, how did you come to write Greenwood? This is a multi-question uh, question here. <laughs> but uh, did you know from the beginning that you wanted to tell the story using tree rings as a metaphor? And also going from the future to the past and then back to the future. Did you have all of that in mind? I've finally admitted that my writing process is extremely messy and disorganized and <laughs> it must be each time I begin a new book. Um, so the sort of the genesis of this book was two stages. Uh, the first was I just had these ideas for characters. I thought I... I, I had the sense of this person who finds a baby in the woods. I was interested in a tree scientist. I was interested in a carpenter and a timber tycoon. And that's what I had. And I didn't know why I was interested in these people. And I just sort of started writing around them, uh, kind of getting to know them. But it wasn't until stage two uh, when I was cutting down a tree uh, on my property on Galliano or the property where I was living at the time. And I, I'm a tree lover. I should say that this was a difficult thing for me to do, but the tree needed to come down. We had to clear some space for a driveway. And so my sons were there with me and we cut the tree down and looked at the stump after it fell. And I realized that the tree kind of contained its own story within its structure and that the rings of the tree actually resembled pages of a book to me. Wow. And I thought, what an interesting way to tell a story um, and, you know, to begin in the present at the, at the outer rings of the tree, travel back in time through the very beginning of the tree and then back out to the other side. And at that moment, I realized that these characters I'd been imagining were actually part of the same family. And so it all just sort of came together then. It did. And by like, I definitely don't want to overplay the ease with which it came together after that. It was a difficult three years probably following that uh, moment to finally have a, have a novel. But I mean, after I had this conception of how I would structure the story, things came a little e easier anyway after that. I've always wondered about the editing process in terms of how long does that period or how long, for example, did it take for this book and, and how vigorous was it or was it not a lot of editing? I've always been kind of curious about that, that side of the writing. I mean, I'm a, I'm a dedicated reviser, editor um, of my own work. And so, I mean, it began right away. I mean, I, I went through multiple, multiple drafts originally, probably 20 
and then I, I get to the point where I'll give it to trusted friends. Uh, I have an, a literary agent who's also a writer himself, and he's sort of my most trusted and most um, helpful uh, voice in that process. And so I'll give it to him. I, I think he did like six passes on it. Wow. And so, and then once a publisher accepts it, you go through rounds of editing with the editor who has, has bought the book as well. And so there's a whole other round. So, I mean, th this book went through the editorial ringer uh, <laughs> during its life, but I think, you know, I'm, I always believe that, you know, this, this stuff makes a, a work stronger, especially if you're working with people who, who you trust and who know what they're doing. When you get to the professional editor side of it, does it, I, I know this sounds terrible, but do you get, like your feelings hurt at all? Like sometimes if they say, oh, take this out or not, or do you, are you able to approach it with like a little less personal feeling to it, I guess? It's such, that's such a great question. And I, it, even after like three books in, I'm, I'm just finishing my fourth book now, there is always a moment when you get the email back and whoever it is, is going through the inconsistencies <laughs> and weaknesses of what you've made where, you know, you feel this flare up, I do at least, of, you know, defensiveness or, uh, you know, annoyance or, you know, for a moment you entertain the idea that maybe this person doesn't know what they're talking about. <laughs> but I really try to get over it as fast as I possibly can. And, you know, I think it's very, very important as any as a creative person to not do anything people tell you, but if somebody who knows you and your work very well is, is sending you a very clear message. You know, mm -hmm. you're, you, you almost have a responsibility to really listen to it. So I, I'm, I'm not perfect at it, but I definitely uh, have done a lot of work to receive those messages. Oh, that's great. Well, speaking of the work, um, would you be willing to read a passage from Greenwood? Of course. Yeah. Excellent. I'm going to be reading um, from a section that is narrated by a guy named Liam Greenwood, who is a carpenter and living in the year 2008. And this chapter is called Clear. Wood is time captured, a map, a cellular memory, a record. This is why Liam believes carpenters like himself will never go out of business because people will always keep wood close in our houses and on our floors, ceilings, and walls, in our trusted canes and our finest musical instruments, in our heirloom tables and old rocking chairs, and most tellingly, in the very capsules that ease our journey into the ground. When carpenters call a piece of wood clear, they mean it is free of knots and wanes and blemishes. And during his many years of fussing over wood, cutting it to exact lengths and lovingly fitting it together just right, all before buffing it to a soul-warming shine, Liam Greenwood has often thought that people like clear wood best because they need to see time stacked together, years pressed against years, all orderly and clean free from obstruction or blemish, the way our own lives never are. Oh, oh, that's so beautiful. 
And I have, to, I have to ask because you're a carpenter or have been a carpenter in the past, correct? That is correct. Yeah. So is that is that really how you feel about it? Are you kind of Liam in that sense? In a sense, yeah. I mean, Liam's led a pretty different life than me, but I mean, I certainly found all kinds of emotional resonance in his character and in his struggles and particularly his musings on wood and time and family and uh, perfection is another uh, thing that he kind of uh, considers as well. So yeah, no, he's 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 kind of a stand-in for me, I guess, in some sense. But I, I could say that of of most characters in Greenwood too, that they're you know all have some kind of emotional resonance with with me personally. Wow. Okay. Well, speaking of that, uh, our friend Sarah wanted me specifically to ask you if you have a favorite character in Greenwood, and can you talk about just in general, the craft of creating really compelling characters. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, I, part of me wants to say, you know, this is like picking a favorite yeah. child, uh, <laughs> which I must say my my brother and I, I have an older brother uh, and we're very different from one another. He's like a business guy. And our, our parents passed away, uh, you know, about 10 years ago at different times, but sort of close together. And him and I were talking recently and, uh, and I said, you know, you know that mom told me that I was her favorite kid. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, she said, she told me the same thing <laughs> and now she's no longer around to confirm or deny any of this stuff. So, uh, that I I'd like to think that all of my characters believe, uh, that I love them best <laughs> is what I'm saying, I guess. Yeah. Um, but if I'm forced to pick one, I would say, the easy answer would be Everett, but I think someone like yeah. Temple really is a character who I'm yes. very proud of creating and who just kind of arrived on the page. And, you know, I, I was very much aware of this like stereotype of the, this, the, the, the uh, husbandless woman living on the prairie, sort of waiting for someone to come rescue her. Uh, mm -hmm. And I really wanted to push against that and, create a strong independent person who is committed to helping others and caring for her community and so that that aspect of of temple's character and her resilience and her strength were something that i was just so thrilled to get down on the page and then what about yeah and i will say too i'm not going to spoil it for anyone who has yet to read the book but that process, um, what happens to Temple, is one of the most um, memorable parts of the book. I just really, I don't want to say too much about it, but she was an incredible character. And her story, even though it was much smaller, it was just an amazing part of the book. So, And then just in terms of crafting these characters, I mean, mm -hmm. that's really obviously the strength of this book are the characters and how well defined they are and how much we all became to love them. Seriously, when you read about people's reviews, it's it's all about these amazing characters. So how do you create those characters? Oh, I wish I knew. I mean, I would just, <laughs> just repeat the process, but it's very, I mean, I really just try to write towards people who I'm interested in people who are struggling, but are human, who are flawed, but are in some sense noble. I think. I think there's, you know, it's 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 scary as a writer to write a character like Everett Greenwood, for example, someone who 
is kind of sincere and is, you know, a kind of this uncelebrated great person uh, mm-hmm. who is sort of buried by history. Um, and, you know, uh, but it's that, that those are the people that I, that I, I'm really gravitate towards. And, you know, in certain characters I had in my mind for a long time, for Sam, for example, Jacinda Greenwood, I, she was one of the earliest I imagined. But then other characters like uh, Liam Feeney showed up on the page as I was writing the scene. Like he walked in the door and just started talking. And uh, there was Harris smitten with this man as much as I was at the time. So uh, it was it's, it's kind of a mix of planning out certain characters you want to get in and then also just waiting for some of them to show up. I love hearing authors talk about that where you won't have a character in mind, but then they'll just sort of show up on the page. And that does it sort of, I mean, I know this might sound silly, but does it feel sort of magical when they appear that way? It does. And I mean, you know, I don't want to overplay my own, uh, the power of my own imagination, but often (laughs) I think, you know, your, your brain is a lot smarter than you are and a lot smarter than you think (laughs) you are. And so, you know, often there's kind of work being done in the background almost. And, you know, there's certain points where your brain will just kind of present a solution or present a consciousness even that it's been sort of assembling behind the scenes, um, which I, I find is just such a fascinating part of the writing experience. And it's sort of just, I mean, it would be very boring to, and, and I'm sure some writers do it this way and I don't want to knock them, but to go into the writing of a book as a preordained exercise in just building this thing that you already know how to make. I really love the process of discovering uh, the mysteries as I'm writing rather than having them prescribed before I write. And do you do an outline and all of that, or do you just sort of, how, how, what's your general process? Oh my goodness, this book. I mean, I had the tree stump, so I was uh, <laughs> halfway there. No, I was really complicated and there were timelines all over my working area, my office. I had, you know, it looked like I was trying to catch a serial killer or something. It was just like completely uh, wild. And, you know, and lots of the editing process was, you know, fixing certain aspects of one timeline. So they lined up with other timelines. So for example, when Harris Greenwood burns half of Greenwood Island, I wrote that much later in the process. And so I had to go back in all the other sections and change that sort of like a time travel movie to make everything line up. So yeah, it's a, it's a really, it's a, it was a really tricky process to actually make the book hang together. And I had a lot of great people to help me do that. Yeah. Okay. So with Canada Reads just around the corner, I am curious how you think Greenwood might shift a reader's perspective. Yeah, I mean it's there it's such a great list of books and I, you know, I being a non-competitive person at heart, <laughs> um I'm really trying to do my best. Uh, but I think that Greenwood can portray, you know, maybe hopefully hopefully we'll leave the reader with a with a greater sense of our interconnectedness both with one another and with the natural world and really hit home the importance of building community, finding family, caring for one another and for the environment. 
uh, as a way of surviving on this planet, which we haven't done so well as thus far. But I think it's, it's, it's an argument for interconnectedness, ultimately. You know, one of the best parts of the book that I just, that really hit me hard was the point at which, I can't remember which characters were talking about it, but that, you know, every generation thinks the worst, the worst that it can ever be is now. And I have to say that I have this doomsday view of our world when it comes to climate change, which is like my number one thing I'm concerned about. And yet there was a point in the book where somebody mentions and says, you know, well, we, we always think it's the worst time and that, you know, maybe it's not the worst time. Maybe it's just something we're going through. So do you, how do you feel about that? Is it like, where, where do you stand on that? I guess if, if that makes sense, what I'm asking. Oh, absolutely. It does. And I think, you know, I, the climate anxiety is something I experience every day and mm -hmm. Greenwood was very much a response to that feeling. But I mean, one of the great parts of researching uh, this book was delving into the, you know, the Great Depression and the Dust Bowl and realizing like, oh my goodness, the world seemed like it was ending at that time as well. And it really was for many people or, you know, to think about even something like the oil crisis in the 70s, um, mm -hmm. you know, the, these were very precarious feeling times too. And, you know, while that doesn't excuse the way that we're treating the climate and the, you know, the, 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 the kind of delaying that we're do, doing with respect to the, the solutions, it's still, I think it's important to put things in perspective and to keep us from catastrophizing to the point that we're paralyzed. I mean, because we must act, we must do what we can to mitigate the damage. But if you think of what it was like to be living through World War II, <laughs> Mm -hmm. I mean, that must have been pretty scary, too. And so, uh, yeah. you know, we have to uh, remind ourselves to be brave and to seek solutions. That's exactly what that did for me, because I've, I've just been living, I think I've been ca catastrophizing things for so long that really when I read that part of it, I just kind of, it helped me just put a little bit in perspective for a moment. And I thought, okay, I think we're going to be okay. I think we just have to keep finding solutions and keep working toward it. So that helped me a lot. So thank you for that. I, I, yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, it, hel it helped me too, <laughs> writing that down. It felt uh, momentarily relieving. Yeah. yeah. So now it's my perception, I'm going to be clear, it's my perception that more and more creative and gifted authors are coming out of British Columbia. So is there something in the water or the trees out there that we should know about? <laughs> Well, as you know, being among trees create, uh, increases your creativity, I think, by t t 10 or 20 percent. So maybe it's that. Uh, I, I, you know, I really don't know. You're right, though. There are so many great authors out here in BC. I think in, in Canada, Toronto kind of exerts this power uh, over the publishing industry. So maybe we're a little bit kind of removed from that and we can just sort of get, get down to business out here. I'm not sure what it is exactly, but I'm very grateful to live in this part of Canada. That's for sure. Yeah, that's beautiful. And then just last, if you, I don't know if you can or want to say anything at all, since you mentioned that you have, you're writing something new, can do, is there a time frame that we might see something new from you? Yeah. I mean, I, I thought this book was going to be done a little while ago, um, <laughs> but that uh, plan has changed. Um, but I will say that it's, I, it's feeling very, very close. And it is uh, the story of 
a small fictional island, uh, a different one um, off the coast of BC, uh, where a tourist young woman goes missing. And then the, this sort of history, the complex history of the island gets dragged up uh, as a result of the search for her. And it also has a lot of climate related uh, stuff involved as well. Excellent. It sounds fabulous. Do, can we, do we think we'll see it in 23 or 24? Oh, I hope you see it really, but um, <laughs> probably no, not in 23. Uh, okay. It's probably safe to say. Yeah. All right. Well, Michael, thank you so much. We are really excited. I agree with you. No book should have to be in a competition really in this manner uh, with Canada Reads, but we love it so much. The competition is so much fun. We did talk to Keegan. We think she's really going to be very well prepared and we're excited uh, for Greenwood to be part of the competition. And we wish you luck in that and also with the new book. And, and just thank you so much for chatting with me today. Oh, thanks to you, Rebecca. And yes, I, you know, I think having a, a something like Canada Reads to generate conversations about books in, in the gigantic way that it does is just a wonderful, wonderful thing. And so, yeah, I'm very, very grateful to be a part of it and to have Keegan uh, arguing on my behalf because she is brilliant and uh, she's going to do an amazing job. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. And thank you so much for this conversation, Rebecca. It's been, it's been great. Thank you for joining us on our bookish journey. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing Canada Reads American Style wherever you listen. You can connect with the podcast and Rebecca on Instagram at Canada Reads American Style and with Tara at On a Branch Reads. Until next time, keep reading.